0: All right. At this time, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Jonah, the book of Jonah and chapter number three, the book of Jonah and chapter number three. As we look at a message that I've entitled this morning, recommission, recommission. It has truly been a joy to me to study through Jonah, and I hope that in some way, shape or form, it's been an encouragement to you as well. And uh, this morning's text is no, no disappointment for sure. So Jonah chapter number three, and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word as we look at the first three verses of Jonah chapter number three. The word of God says, then the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Let's just pause and rejoice in that statement. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would bless it to the hearing of our hearts and minds, God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through this profound and wonderful text. God, use it for your glory and for the strengthening of your body. And God, we rejoice in that you are the God of second chances. And so, Lord, we just pray today that you would move us and strengthen us by this. I pray, Lord, as your servant, that you would cleanse me of sin, empty me of self. And fill me with your spirit. Use me, God, to be a blessing to these, your people, and we'll never fail to praise you for it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Jonah chapter number 3 and verses 1 through 3 are uh, quite simply a wonderful, wonderful reminder to us of a profound truth that we serve a God who does not just simply throw us away, but instead he gives us opportunities Throughout life, all of us have gone through situations that we wish could have, we wish that we could have hit a reset button and had a second opportunity. Uh, Just coming out of deer season, no doubt there are disgruntled hunters who wish they could get another shot, another opportunity, because when the opportunity presented itself, they didn't connect. Now they're watching the paper for good deals on pork. Students receive their graded exams back, and it looks as though the teacher or professor used a case of red pens making corrections. Looking at the score at the top of the exam, they think, Man, wish I could retake that test. Or you're sitting in your car alongside the road, and in your rearview mirror, there are blue and red flashing lights, and a man with a broad brim hat's walking toward your window, and you think to yourself, if only I could go back and slow down a little, <laughs> at least until I went past Trooper Killjoy. <sighs> the point being, a second opportunity based upon a current situation, we think, we think that it would look much differently. And many times, indeed, it does. And praise God that it does. Jonah knew the feeling of wanting and needing a second opportunity well, he knew the feeling. Well, but Jonah, while God had every right and reason to pull the prophet out of service and place him on the disqualified list, experienced the overwhelming grace and mercy of a patient and kind God. We cannot overlook the reality that Jonah, what Jonah went through, uh, was an awful lot. It It was profound. But But we also need to recognize that all of what Jonah went through was the result of his own sin. Jonah had nobody to blame but himself. But even in and through the correction and reproof of Almighty God, we see a glorious reality that God did not forsake the man Jonah. Instead of reading, And God destroyed Jonah for his wicked rebellion against his word. We read instead, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, a second time, a second opportunity, a new beginning, a reset, a rewind, a start over, a recommission to do the work of God according to the will of God. So we see this specifically in verse one, we see this initiation of God that he he gave to Jonah starting in chapter one, it's renewed in chapter three. We see it's verbatim this this idea of the word of the Lord. Look back to chapter one verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It doesn't say the second time. It defines him who he is, the son of Amittai, and saying so the word of the Lord comes. To Jonah and this time in chapter 3 verse 1 it's the second time and and this second time shows us it's a it's a proof positive that the relationship between God and the prophet Jonah has indeed been reconciled because it's coming the second time it's it's coming to Jonah again and we know that the prayer that we looked at in chapter 2 of Jonah was accepted by God the repentance was it was genuine it was real and we know that because God is now reemploying, reinstating, renewing the commission that he had given to Jonah. Now, not only is he renewing the commission that he gives to Jonah, but the priority of his commission is just the same as well. In the first sense, it was the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. In the second instance, it is again the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. The priority of God's agenda in the life of Jonah, and more specifically for the people of Nineveh, was the word of God itself. And can I just remind us that in the year 2023, the agenda and the priority of God is still in his word plain and simple plain and simple God's priority was his word and we see also in this the persistence of God in calling of his messenger and the persistence of God in the message itself now those things are all true and we we have no doubt whatsoever of the reality of this because it is so abundantly clear to us but let's think about where Jonah is at at this time at this place When he receives the word of the Lord, the second time, I have heard throughout my short course of time on earth, uh, many people use the phrase of a great man of God. Uh, Did you ever hear that phrase used? Old so and so was a great man of God, And, and and it sounds good, and it and it probably even fits the bill to some degree or another. But but. Is that a way that we would have defined Jonah at this time and at this place, in knowing specifically that God's going to use Jonah, uh, knowing specifically where Jonah came from, is the, the phrase or the idea of a great man of God, is that something that we would, would call Jonah when we think about that? I don't know about you, but, but it's not something that I would, would have said come chapter 3 of Jonah and and his life and his ministry i would not have define Jonah as wow look at this great man of God no actually when I think about Jonah and I think about this idea of God of the prophet himself and the condition that that he was in and just just his his, his ability and his strength in and of himself I, I would look again at, at verse one and I would say well the fact of the matter that the word of the Lord is coming to Jonah the second time proves to me that he's he's not all that great he, he's not all that strong he's not all that uh, he's not all that gifted if you will and and then when we when we think about in the context of uh, of all the other so-called great men of God that we would see in the Bible or or that we would think about maybe in uh, in church history or even in the contemporary church of today that is you know there's people there's ministries that have had Profound and wonderful impacts on the world in which we live. I, I think of a couple just off the top of my head. Uh, uh, John MacArthur, I believe John MacArthur has been pastoring the same church now for some 53, 54 years. Uh, he has a, a, an amazingly fruitful ministry called Grace to You, uh, and and the church itself has just exploded over the years of his ministry. I think of a man by the name of Alistair Begg and and Truth for Life and the impact that. that that. that ministry has far and wide and and there's others that we could talk about the prince of preachers Charles Haddon Spurgeon from the 1800s a, a particular Baptist who is is more widely read across denominational lines probably than any other preacher in history were these men people that we look at whether presently or in the past men that we would say they are great men of God well let's go even further back and let's let's look specifically at the Bible and the men that we see there we think of immediately in the New Testament context a great man of God probably the first person that comes to our minds is the Apostle Paul right the Apostle Paul he's the superstar of the Apostles he's written a, an abundance of the New Testament for us and these uh, these letters to the churches and these epistles to uh, to Titus and Timothy wow it's amazing you know how Paul defined himself? Well, let me just say it this way. Paul did not stand back and say, I am a great man of God. No, no, actually, in writing to the church at Corinth, the apostle Paul says in chapter 15, verse 9, he says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, if that's not good enough for you, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8 the apostle Paul says to me, though I am the least of all saints. Well, in, in, in the church to Corinth or in the letter to the church of Corinth, he says he was the least of all apostles. And, and then his letters to the church at Ephesus was, I'm not even the worst apostle. I'm the worst saint. In other words, I'm the worst Christian, right? He says, I am the least of all saints. And then he says, this grace, this grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul did not view himself as a great man of God. And then we also think, again, in the New Testament context, that uh, the man that Christ himself said he was going to build the church upon, the, the, word, the, na- the, the man whose name literally means stone or, or rock, the man Peter, who 24 hours before Christ would, uh, would uh, go to the cross he is, or, or rather I would say 24 hours or less before Peter has denied his Lord three times, he, he says, Jesus, I, I would never deny you. And as a matter of fact, I would actually die for you. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times tonight before the crock, before the cock crows. Peter was, was certainly not a man who we would look at and say, wow, what a great man of God. Moses. Moses has a lot of issues as we look at his life. Uh, one specifically at, the, uh, at Meribah when he strikes the rock and he was instructed to just speak to the rock, but he struck the rock and spoke to the people as though he was the one to bring the water to them, this weak man of God. Abraham we, we can go through Abraham's life and see that he was a very, uh, very prone to mistakes and, and sins. He had the child Ishmael with Hagar. Uh, that was not God's plan for, uh, for Abraham. He lied to Pharaoh in Egypt about his relationship to his wife and said that she was his sister. Uh, And and as if that wasn't bad enough, he did it again, and he did it at Gerar, and he lied to Abimelech, the same exact lie. Um, The point being, the point being in all these examples is this, that God only has one type of man to use. God only has one kind of man to work with, and that is failures that experience the grace of God, and because of the grace of God, have faith in God that moves them to the will of God through the work of God. In reality, there is no such thing as a great man of God. There's only a great God at work in the lives of weak men and women. And This is a great reminder to all of us because when we when we establish this this idea of some sort of spiritual hierarchy and place men above others, we lose sight of the reality that all of us are in need of the grace of God. And Jonah is a prime example of receiving the grace of God and he needed the grace of God because he was, in fact, uh, he was doing something wrong. He was going away from the will of God, he was going away from the presence of God. He was running away from the call of God. And God reproves him, corrects him, brings him back, and he reinitiates or recommissions Jonah to go in the right direction. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. That's the initiation that's renewed. But then we see that the initiation renewal is accompanied by the repetition or the repeating of the instruction. In other words, what God told Jonah to do in chapter 1 verse 2 does not change, not even a little bit, when we come to chapter 3 and verse 2. Look at the similarities of these two verses. Chapter 1 verse 2, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. So there's a there's a missing component to chapter one, verse two, in chapter three, verse two. But it's replaced with something else. It, it goes from from general to specific. It goes from a a broad brush to to a fine one. And and we see in in the reinstating or the instruction that's repeated in chapter three, verse two. It says, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it." The message. of, I tell you or that I tell you in other words God only gets more specific about the calling Jonah's calling and God's uh, specifics are are specifically his preaching assignment what he is actually going to say to them and and notice in this verse 2 the lack of of any sort of creativity or liberality that God would give to the preacher himself, the prophet Jonah. It is is absolutely lacking in what we would define as or classify as uh, pragmatism. That is to say that, that the ends justify the means. In other words, God does not give Jonah the ability to get creative in how he's going to preach to Nineveh. Instead, he says, you're going to go there, you're going to get up, Go there, call out against it, and you're going to say exactly what I tell you to say. Pragmatism says uh, that we're going to do X, Y, and Z because we believe it's going to produce this, right? And we see this today. Uh, we see it in all aspects of culture and life, but, but we see it sadly in the church today in that, that we have, praise God, we have not, and let us not get there. But we do see that among brothers and sisters in Christ, they forsake the clear instructions of Scripture as far as what we should do and what we ought not to do in the house of God and in the gospel proclamation. And they become creative to the point that we know that when we do this, it attracts a big crowd. Now, ministries that are large, that does not automatically mean that they're unbiblical. Uh, Praise God, there are large ministries that God blesses in his sovereignty to greater degrees for whatever purpose and and whatever but, but a lot of times the bigger the church is the more pragmatic the church is and and by that I mean that the bigger show that you put on in the church draws the larger crowd and before long you have an assembly of people that is mixed with, and, and always this is the case, but I'm saying that it could get to the point, and in fact does get to the point, where the lost persons are more vast in the assembly of the believers than, than actual believers. And if that's not, that's not necessarily bad either. So long as the gospel is being proclaimed and those people are called to repentance and faith in Christ. But sadly, what happens is that there is no accountability within those places and people who are completely lost, become mixed and mingled inside of the leadership of the church. And now we've got ourselves a real mess, a real mess. Why? Why? Because the church of the living God becomes run by people who are lost and on their way to hell and they are bringing into the uh, the assembly and the worship of God all kinds of unbiblical, unscriptural, unholy practices which result in a further uh, destroying and diluting of the church of Christ which is to be functioning according to scripture in scripture to the glory of God alone. In other words, I I am, I am a, uh, I'm a stalwart for the regulative principle of worship. And that just simply means that, that the Bible tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And, and, and we should do our best to meet that criteria. Now there are, there are liberties when it comes to worship. And, and there are things that the Bible does not speak to very, very specifically, but, uh, but most of the things we can find clearly in Scripture. And so the opposite, you say, well, what's the other, what's the other side of that coin? Well, the normative principle of, of worship says, well, if the Bible doesn't explicitly say you can't do that, then I think that we can go ahead and do that. And, and let me just tell you that, that that is the way that many, many places operate and, and it seldom, if ever, leads to something that is good. I believe wholeheartedly, and I hope you would agree, that the Bible is the only sufficient guide for all things for our faith and practice. Amen. Praise God. I'm glad that we agree on that. Well, guess what? This is exactly what the call for Jonah was. Don't go and do whatever you think, Jonah. As a matter of fact, listen... God would truly say to Jonah and he would say to me and anybody else, I don't care what you think. (laughs) It doesn't sound all that nice, but it's the reality. God is not concerned about what we think. It's his word. It's his world. It's his work. And so Jonah is given this commission to to go and to serve and to do so in this specific way. Jonah is given a very narrow window into which he must operate. It's simple, it's straightforward, and it's without gimmick. Modern evangelism says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if Jonah would have said that when he entered the boat and, and that's sailing to Tarshish and he would say, I'm a prophet of God and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And a few hours later, they're in the worst storm of their life. And they would say, hey, what did you say when we started out this journey? The wonderful life? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's wonderful, and indeed it is, but it includes difficulty. God's plan for our lives in the midst of our sin will take us to unwonderful places, but it's for our wonderful good, amen? Amen and here Paul again is a parallel to the assignment of God that God gives to Jonah. Paul again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 he gives it straight as far as he's concerned with dealing with the practices inside of the church at Corinth. He says to them for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the, uh, where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to jews and folly to gentiles but to those who are called both jews and greeks christ the power of god and the wisdom of god for the foolishness of god is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than men in other words in other words god equips jonah with the most effective tool that god has determined to use to convert lost sinners And that is the proclamation of his word. Anytime we get away from that, we're going to enter into a place where there is no blessing from God. We always need to come back to the word of God. What does the word say should be our answer to life's greatest dilemmas? Well, that's the inspiration that Jonah receives. It is God's word and God's word alone. That Jonah is called to go and to proclaim. And thank goodness this time, this time, the second time that Jonah's uh, engaged with God and his call in his life, it says there in verse 3, we're just going to look at the first part of verse 3 today. It says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, and he did so according to the word of the Lord. I tell my children this, So much so that I hope that they repeat it to their own children that delayed obedience is multiplied disobedience. Let me say that again. Delayed obedience is multiplied disobedience. In other words, children, when mom, especially mom, and dad give you instructions, it's not for some time, it's for right now. Amen. And can I tell you that when you obey your parents, when they ask you to do something without argumentation, without confrontation, without any kind of debate, it produces joy in their hearts and it also produces prosperity for your life. You say, how do you know that? Well, the fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you. Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Children, you want to know how you can improve the quality of your life? Obey your parents. Hey, moms and dads, all of us, you want to know how you can improve the quality of your life? Obey God's commands. And do it as fast as you possibly can. So, delayed obedience is multiplied disobedience, but this time, Jonah shows no hesitancy No discrepancy, only punctuality, that is on time, and he does so in humility. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh. No debating with God. Now, I would impose upon this thought, did Jonah do so according to the desires of his own heart? I don't think so. I don't think Jonah's heart was burning with passion to go to Nineveh, even after all that he had gone through. And I'm certain of that because when we get to chapter number four and we see the heart of this man who's angry that Nineveh has repented, Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he had a burning passion to see the souls of Nineveh saved. But, but he did so according to the word of the Lord. You say, well, what, what, what are you trying to get at here? Well, the point I'm trying to make is this. Sometimes we have to do things that we really don't want to do. Mm. I remember the first mission trip that I went on and my wife can verify the, the truthfulness of this story. When I was asked to go to Honduras, I really did not want to go. Not even a little bit. As a matter of fact, number one, I hate flying and it's an awful long drive to Honduras. <laughs> and, and as much as I hate, dri- uh, hate flying, I equally hate long car trips. You pray for us. We got one coming up in April. But anyway, I expressed to, to a loved one that, boy, I was going, but I really didn't want to. And the, the response I got from one individual was this if you really don't want to go to Honduras, then why in the world are you going? And at first I didn't know how to respond to that because I thought, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't be going. And then you know what my mind went to? It went to Jonah. (laughs) And I said to this person in reply at some time later, hey, you know the reason I'm doing this? I'm doing this because, did you ever read Jonah? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and Jonah's life did not go well for a season because he refused to go to Nineveh. Now, I'm no way putting myself on the same plane of Jonah, and I'm not saying that I would have ended up in the belly of a fish had I not gone to Honduras, but something else could have happened indeed. Amen. Amen believe wholeheartedly something else could have happened. I've even asked the question to a friend of mine in pastoral ministry. I said, you know, and this, the reason I did so was because when I, when I looked at how God brought me to the place of, of pastoring and preaching, uh, there were points along the way that I felt as though I could just, I could escape this. And, and I believed in some ways, a lot of ways, I tried. And I said to this friend, I said, I wonder what my life would be like now had I rejected this call to to preach God's word and to to shepherd the people of God. And he said, well, and and he went on. I won't I won't spare you with all these stories, but he went on to say, I can give you an example of somebody who did just that. And he he went on to tell me about this man's life, how uh, how he had he had thwarted the call of God upon his life in ministry he went and, uh, and he cheated on his wife, ended up divorced. His house was a mess. And he said from that point forward, he said you could see that there was a clear digression in his life when he did not obey what God had called him to do. The point again is this. Sometimes God asks us to do or calls us to do things that we just simply do not want to do we know that there are things that we should not do that our flesh wants to do but it's just as but it's just as true that we in accordance to the word of the lord must do things that we really do not want to do why is this important why is it important to obey even when you don't feel like it well i would point us back to the storm the belly of the fish, the purpose of God in the first place. That is to say that there is a people in Nineveh that are under the divine wrath of God and unless they repent, they're all going to perish, right? And not only that, remember the grace of God in your own life that When you were without God and if it wouldn't have been God sending the gospel to you through the means of of somebody who was obedient to that call, where on earth would you be today? Right? Why is it important to obey God even when you don't want to? Because God desires to use your life not only for your own sake, but for the good of others and ultimately for his own glory. And our obedience, although we may think it's insignificant, it is not. It is not. And, and, and let me just again point out, God could have replaced Jonah in a heartbeat. Amen. He could have called somebody else. He could have called up Amos. Amos, uh, throw the pitchfork, get your Bible, go to Nineveh. Jonah messed up. I want you to do it. No, he didn't call Amos to go to Nineveh. He called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Hosea, quit writing about Gomer. Come on, get to Nineveh. No, it wasn't Hosea's job. It was Jonah's job. It was Jonah's call to go to Nineveh. And all these things were important in the plan of God. Carl Henry made this statement and this observation. Um, He said, it, speaking of the gospel, is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is only good news if it reaches its destination in time. There are times, listen carefully, there are times when we should prayerfully and patiently move forward and sometimes even stand still, right? There's moments that that we face a, a dilemma or a perplexing situation and the response we should have is pray, be patient and maybe just stand still. But but when God's command is clear and obedience is obvious, there's no need to throw a prayer party to understand or to, to decide whether or not you're going to obey God or to, uh, to, to, to wrestle with whether or not this is something you should do, <laughs> right? No. The only prayer that we should be having is to ask God for the grace to carry out what he's called us to do. That he would strengthen us and empower us, impart to us what we need to do what God has given us to do. In other words, Jonah did not have to stop and say, Lord, I'm going to pray about whether or not I should go to Nineveh. No. The command is clear. Go to Nineveh. Go there and do this. Give them the message that I am going to tell you. We see this idea here in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. Apostle Paul says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime now paul is speaking about here uses some some uh, imagery in his language he's talking about the alienation of man from god and he talks about the night the night it's a it's a dark time it's a dark time and he says he describes it as in paul's day as it is it's far gone in other words it's progressed greatly and can i just say it this way that that the the time period that paul was speaking of is the same time period in which we find ourselves in. And the day has not grown any brighter. It's only increasingly got darker. And it's still going. And it's only intensified. In other words, if Paul said the day is at hand, we can rightly deduce that we are even closer to that day in our present hour. Amen. And so the, the priority that is placed upon the call specifically that is, Paul's talking about the, the proclamation of the gospel and, and the ministry of reconciliation with God and man, he's saying it's it's time. The day is at hand. In other words, there is a present opportunity right here, right now, today. This past week, I was asked to go and preach a funeral service once again. For It seems as though it's happening more and more lately, and I praise God for the opportunity, but I get asked to do funeral services for people that I do not know. I just simply don't know them, not even a little bit. And every single time the phone rings and that question is being asked, if there's any way earthly possible that I can go and do that service, I'm going to go and do that service. Because why? Because there are people that need to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one of them have a never dying soul. And it's going to spend a place either in hell with the devil or with God in a place we call heaven. This past week, I, I stood there before this crowd of people who, who many of them, I am sure, never heard the gospel ever before. And you know, there was, a, there was an amazing sense of liberty that I received Standing in front of that place. It's hard. Folks, I don't know. If you think that preaching is easy, I dare you to try it. Standing in front of those people causes my heart to race, my stomach to be tied in knots, my tongue to not work the way it's supposed to. But that night, God gave me an amazing liberty to preach the gospel And you know what I did? I tried to preach it as plainly and simply as I possibly could so that not a single person could leave that place with any kind of confusion in their heart as to what Christ had done for their sin. When I began to preach, there were hearts that, that you could tell were just so opposed to me, the messenger. And as I as I I preached from John chapter 3 on the necessity of being born again, those hearts that were were tied up and bound up and rejecting me, the messenger, I, I seen them begin to melt as the love of God in Christ Jesus was proclaimed to them. No, I did not sugarcoat it. I made it abundantly clear that every single one of them was a sinner worthy of God's judgment upon their lives. But I also told them what Christ has done for those who are lost in their sin. and That though their sins are many, the grace of God is greater. And the opportunity that they had to call upon the name of the Lord was today. Today. Maybe even now somebody in that assembly has passed on. I don't know. I, mean, I will probably never know. But the reality is this, that when the opportunity presents itself, I took it and you need to take it too. In other words, today there was maybe somebody in your life that needs to hear the gospel. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's one of your friends. Maybe it's a coworker. I don't know. But I do know this, that God is calling us to obedience to this gospel and he's calling us to this obedience today. We're living in what was yesterday called tomorrow, but the reality is that we're not promised tomorrow. We have today. The opportunity is here, and the opportunity is now. And Jonah was given the opportunity, recommissioned by God, to go to jo- to Nineveh. And he seized it. He seized it. And he seized it, not because he had a burning passion to go there, but he seized it according to the word of the Lord. What are you going to do with the time And the opportunity that God has granted to you. I can't answer that question for anybody but myself. Every single one of us. May it weigh on us. May we think about it. Embrace it. Because listen, we can look at it two ways. We can look at it as a great challenge and a great difficulty. Or we can see it as an opportunity. We can see it as an act of God's kindness and mercy coming through our heart, our hands, our words. And may God be glorified through our obedience in these things. Folks, I believe that that this world we're living in, it's easy to see. I don't even watch the news, but I hear enough to know this world is going crazy. Crazy. And it's getting crazier every single day. And what do we need more than ever before? we need truth and so does the crazy world around us and we've been entrusted with the truth go and tell them what God has said and here's the wonderful news we're going to get there but in spite of a weak messenger but in spite of all his past failures God used him God used him To quite possibly begin the greatest revival ever known to mankind. You say, well, that was then. This is now. God hasn't changed. Amen. The gospel hasn't changed. The spirit of God hasn't changed. Will you do it? Will you speak of the love of God in Christ? May he be glorified when we do. Let's pray. Father. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your word. And, and Lord, I, I, I can't even get past, Lord, the first phrase of this text this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time. Lord, you're not only the God of the second times, but, but for some of us, you're the God of the hundredth time. The 199th time. And God, once again, we... We're here today and we're receiving your word because you've been gracious and merciful to us. Father, we pray that none of us will presume upon that mercy or grace. God, that we would rejoice in it and we would also, Lord, make it prompt us, Lord, to move us to obedience to you. Father, there's no doubt in my heart that this place could not be filled to overflowing if we would just get serious about sharing the good news outside of the walls of this building. And Lord, we're not, we're not worried about numbers, but we are worried about souls. God, we pray that you would save them through your message and through us, your messengers. And God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to these things. For your glory, Oh, we love you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for the patience that you've extended to us. God, we're all here today as recipients of that patience and that long-suffering kindness. And I pray, God, that your kindness and your grace would, would encourage our hearts to deeper love for you and deeper devotion to you. God, that you would just use us for your glory. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for all that you're going to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.